0: The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We're dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Scrum.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. This is Leslie Morse here again, and I'm delighted to be chatting with Brandy Olson. Brandy works in the intersection between learning, organizational agility, and human-centered design. She has over 15 years of experience consulting with leaders across diverse sectors who share a commitment to people, learning fast, and doing good in the world. Brandy, thank you for being with me today.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of the conversation.
0: Yes. And I I love that you actually use the word conversation here because um, we're going to dig into this idea of burnout and resiliency and fatigue and what it means to work with change. And we are living in a world where all of that is so real. So I'm just excited for this to actually be a conversation about those topics today.
1: Yes, absolutely. I find that my own learning grows in dialogue and in conversation. And I think this is a time and a season where we need to take every opportunity to keep learning and keep experimenting and digging deeper. So being able to explore together is really exciting to me too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So listeners, I invite you to kind of like grab a cup of tea, a coffee, curl up with a blanket because it's becoming fall
1: mm-hmm. and uh,
0: sit on your sofa and snuggle in for a good conversation. Wonderful. Yeah. Before we get to this, though, I love to just sort of help unpack a little bit about you, Brandy, and what your experience has been like in our industry. So how tell everybody, how did you find Agile? Maybe did it find you? How did that work? <laughs>
1: Well, I found Agile in an unexpected place when I was teaching. So I have a background in education and a, um, experience as a high school educator and a master's in learning sciences. And along the way, when I was teaching in my classroom, I read an article about Agile software development. And I remember, I don't remember the article that I read, but I remember the feeling that I had right away, which was they're talking about software, but these are my people. They're talking about how do you solve complex problems together and learn together and adapt together. And I'm in a classroom and in a school that deals with so much complexity. This, this is my space and this is my world. And so I just really dove in at the time when I was teaching, uh, trying to integrate as much as I could um, into my classroom of these agile principles that in some ways felt like I had been doing them forever because I had the Mm -hmm. principles of agility or the principles of um, learning and social change and education and all of those things but being more intentional about experimenting and integrating with my school and with the teachers I was working with and so I found agile and I also feel like agile kind of found me And then along the way, I I stopped teaching and I started doing um, consulting work and freelance work really focused at first outside of software. I was applying agility to all sorts of things like instructional design and human resources and strategic planning Because that was the world that I was living and operating in. And and then along the way, I had some phenomenal mentors who really helped me understand and learn the language of technology. And I started doing more kind of what we think of as typical agile coaching and consulting. Um, And I often say, you don't ever want me to code anything, but I really love talking about the whys of agility and why those practices matter and helping um, translate. Yeah, across different parts of organizations as to why we need to come together and be agile. That's great. I was It's so
0: interesting to hear that story. I was just talking with Lisa Adkins the other day, and we were talking about the different paths that people take to find themselves sort of mm-hmm. doing the work of agile coaching. And starting as educator was not one of the ones that we discussed because mm-hmm. um, there, there are so many different ones. And that's... Um, you may be the first person I've met that really came to this purely out of an educational background. And I know there are others, Mm -hmm. Um, but I love how beautiful you tell that story.
1: Yeah. You know, and there's a whole community, international community of practice around agile and education, which is Mm -hmm. really wonderful. I used to think that my path from, you know, being a special ed teacher into, um, you know, coaching executives and leaders on organizational agility, I used to think that that wasn't very linear. And it was kind of odd. And then over the years, I started to realize and I recognize now that it's not as um, odd as it may seem, because really all transformation, I think is about learning.
0: And
1: it is a, a, a kind of a turn of phrase, it
0: is special education.
1: It is, right, Um, it absolutely is. And I think what that taught me, that background in teaching and in classroom education, what that has taught me and what I use in my practice now is really this understanding that uh, how we learn matters, Mm -hmm. and how it works in reality matters. So your theory can be great. But if it's not something that I can use to solve a problem, it's not actually doing me any good. And so there's this real pragmatic aspect to the work that we do. Um, And I think that that, for me, strongly rooted in what am I trying to accomplish? And how do I know it's working? And those were questions Mm -hmm. I asked as a teacher. And those are questions that we need more leaders to be asking in their companies too. Yeah.
0: I totally agree. There's, I, I um, am sensing as someone that is focused on how do we sort of redefine what professional development looks like mm-hmm. when it comes to just learning about Agile in and of itself, I, I feel another conversation amongst us brewing. So I'm practicing self-management because we're not going to talk about that today.
1: We're prioritizing our time. We are. Practicing our own, uh, our own, our own lessons. Yes. But yes, another conversation about what is really meaningful learning look like. Yeah. It's so important.
0: And it does relate to this idea of being burnout and, right, because we are all acquiring new skills to function in mm-hmm. a modified society that's not one that's normal for us. Before we get there, just just a couple phrases from you on this, right? Coming out of education as your background, we tend to think of that as a very female-dominated space, mm-hmm. lots of women teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, what has that been like for you in observing kind of the role of women and how gender and and different things have been for you throughout your
1: career? It's an interesting question, right? Sometimes I, I think one of the things that it's done for me is it's just made me notice. I pay attention to the rooms that I'm in and what voices are loud in that, those rooms or conversations or decisions, what voices are quiet, uh, what voices are missing. And so I think I tend to just notice that. And I find that in, you know, in agile spaces, there's so much variation, I guess I would say. Um, And I am very aware that the role of gender has an impact. It certainly has impacted me in my career, sometimes in ways that I didn't realize at the time, other times in ways that I was very painfully aware of. And, um, And but it has also aided in my career as well, and given me this perspective that can come into a room with a lot of people and really tune into who's at the table and who's missing, and how, how can we create more opportunity and equity for getting all the voices at the table. Yeah.
0: What would you say, or how might you summarize sort of the state of women in Agile as it pertains to um, our industry that we work within? Hmm.
1: That's such a good question, and I, can't, I kind of want to keep thinking about it and maybe come back to it. The first yeah. thing that came to mind is that I think we can look at women in Agile really broadly, but my experience has been at very so much by the unique ecosystem of every organization yes. and the ecosystem at an, in an organization or even in a like geographic area yeah. um, really shapes the opportunities that women have or don't have. Yes. Um, I think that and believe deeply in my heart of hearts that agility is um, something that can be an, an enabler of equity mm-hmm. and inclusion, um, but that oftentimes it operates in a different way and it yeah. can work against those goals. Um You know, the other thing that I think of and uh, that just comes to mind when I think about the state of women in agile, something I've been talking about a lot this summer as I've been teaching agility outside of software development. One of the things that I name a lot is that agility and the principles of agility were not discovered by a group of white men in Utah um, who were writing the Agile Manifesto and codifying these 12 principles, that the principles of agility have been the principles of social change and of solving complex problems for as long as people have been solving complex problems. Yeah. And I think that the role of women and the role of women's voices in that for a long time did get silenced out of it, as if these ideas around how we collaborate, how we respond to change were brand new. Yes, um, in the early 90s when a bunch of people got really excited about it. And and the, this idea that there's this group of people who kind of own what it means to be agile. Yeah. I really reject and I've been really thinking a lot about that and about how we expand the principles of agility and the practices and mindset of agility beyond that and bring back in some of those voices and those thought leaders who have been at this work for decades and yeah. millennia. Um, And and bring their wisdom into the practice as well. Yeah. And I think we've got,
0: I agree with everything you're saying, Brandy. And we've got an interesting opportunity to reshape the dialogue, um, especially as we're recording, we're having this conversation here early as many parents are navigating what it means to get kids back into school Mm -hmm. and the standard gender norms of parenting and household dynamics and the ability to juggle work and who's going to work with the kids if they're doing distance learning mm-hmm. and all of this and the risk of right, what could happen if right the traditional gender norms are pulling droves of women out of the workforce, mm-hmm. even if they're not seeking that. Mm-hmm. And so what, what's the impact of this on us in 5, 10, 12 years? Mm-hmm. Who knows?
1: Yeah, I think we're going to look back and we're definitely going to see patterns that emerge. Um, I hope that we see patterns that disrupt as well. Yes. That there's places that we see new ideas and new patterns emerge of that vary from maybe the course that we're on right now. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of opportunity and possibility for that. Um, and I will be the first to say, I can't predict what those will be, but I am hopeful.
0: Yes, yeah. But what is known to all of us is the amount of change we're dealing with right now is probably more than many of us have ever dealt with in our lives and it's hitting home in a whole new way and the idea of fatigue and burnout especially at least for me digital burnout cuz come Thursday afternoon I'm like oh gosh and there's one more day of calls and I'm going to be on zoom
1: It's Mm -hmm. just
0: exhausting. There's only so much of us to go around. Mm -hmm. And this idea of burnout is a place you've been looking at and focusing on and studying quite a bit Mm -hmm. in terms of what it means to navigate that and how to build that resiliency. Mm -hmm. So what drew you to looking at this area of work and, and what are your thoughts and beliefs on it that are important for us today?
1: Yeah. I got interested in this question about burnout um, a couple of years ago. I was talking with a friend and I was actually talking about organizational multitasking and all the problems with pursuing competing priorities. And he said, Brandy, that's great, but I don't really understand why it matters so much. And it hit me and I said to him, and this continues to be my refrain, I said, I it it breaks my heart because I think we put people in the position of having to choose between doing good work and their own humanity. And I think that in most cases, that's a false choice that we ask people to make. And, you know, bring that full circle to the reality that we all experience now. I think many of us are in these positions where we're having to choose between showing up and doing good work in our jobs and in our organizations that we're invested in and our humanity, our families, our own mental well-being. And I believe that there are a lot of Tools and practices available to leaders of organizations that can help minimize the like tension in that choice. That there's things, if I as an individual am having to make that choice between doing good work and my own humanity, I'm probably going to choose myself and my family and my own mental well being almost every time eventually. Yeah. Yeah. But and I think leaders don't have to put people in that position. position. and There's yeah. a real responsibility to. Remove that as a necessary choice,
0: yeah, and I think it um, you know, there's so much conversation about language these days and the words that we use um, now more important than ever, I think is an opportunity for organization vocabulary, I guess I should say, to drop the word resources as it pertains to humans because there mm-hmm. is right resource as an inanimate object has essentially infinite capacity as a widget Mm -hmm. to do things over and over again. And that is not true for us as people. Mm -hmm. And so your, your take around choosing between, you know, doing good work and doing the things that are more humane for us as people, Mm -hmm. um, just the subconscious nature of calling people resources, like, that doesn't work. Like mm-hmm. i imagine like talking to your partner and being like, "Hey resource, it's your day to deal with the kids' distance right. learning." That probably doesn't go over very well.
1: No, not at all, and i love that you brought up that piece of, you know, how we talk about people as resources because i, I was talking to a group of leaders earlier this summer and they were just talking about resources as people, but capacity. And how do we kind of extract the right amount of capacity from our resources right now? And and they were coming at it from, I think, a place of empathy, recognizing that capacity might be limited. People working at home, kids are at home too, but they were still thinking about it in terms of, well, how much capacity can I expect from everybody. I'm noticing how I'm even
0: triggered by that word a little bit right mm-hmm. now and go in, and in how I've even said, I just don't have the capacity to take that on mm-hmm. as if, right. It's almost the way, at least I use it. And I make up that you're hearing it as well is coming from that scarcity mindset, mm-hmm. not an abundance mindset. Mm-hmm. And then it, I'm not sure if everyone else is having this meme sort of thrown in their face but maybe it's finding me on purpose. The vein of the, um, it's not that you don't have time for it, it's that you're choosing not to make time for something. Mm -hmm. And that the way we spend our time is a choice. You Mm -hmm. alluded to that earlier, that us having a conversation about change and burnout Mm -hmm. is how we're choosing to spend this time Mm
1: -hmm. today.
0: And so when life or change is done unto you, Mm -hmm. it kind of robs us of our ability to be more discerning and intentional about
1: how we want to choose to show up. Mm -hmm. You use the word, I think you use the word priorities a little bit. And I think about that a lot, that it is about prioritization, how we prioritize our capacity, ourselves, our energy, our mental, uh, capacity our physical capacity how we prioritize the way that we spend that is a choice mm-hmm. and you know so that can be true individually as as people right you are prioritizing and choosing how to spend your energy and time some of that might choose you because we have this you know hierarchy of basic needs and it takes a lot more energy right now to take care of basic needs yes. than it feels like it did 6 months ago mm-hmm. um but then when we think about organizations, too, I think there's this need to pay attention to collectively. How are we prioritizing our capacity to respond to change, our ability, our collective ability to respond to change, and recognizing that it is a choice yeah. that we do prioritize, whether it's conscious or, or really not conscious, whether it's proactive or reactive. Yes. Yes. Right. And and we still have that ability to make those choices and be proactive about how we prioritize versus just being reactive, even though so many other things are outside of our control. We always have available to us the ability to prioritize.
0: Yeah. And I I make up here that a sign of burnout is the feeling because like I'm almost channeling a listener that's like, yeah, but I don't I don't even have choice. And just simply that feeling of not having your own agency and not being able to choose is probably a thing to be paying attention to as a sign of fatigue and burnout and being drained because we do not have infinite capacity Mm -hmm. to be with all of this.
1: Yeah, that cue or clue, that feeling of like, I don't have any choices here. Or I feel stuck or there are no options. I know for me personally, when I find myself saying that it is a clue, it triggers something in my brain that says, wait, that's not true. Yeah. So if it feels like that's true, I need to stop and re-examine where I'm at and find out where, and think about where are my choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though those might be difficult choices, uh, I need to, get creative about that. And one of the ways that I've been finding to exercise that choice or that ability to prioritize is really in the micro. Like there's so much that I don't have control over right now. Um, so much that we don't have control over, but there are micro choices and micro priorities that I have the opportunity to exercise control over within my day. Yeah. And focusing on those pieces and trusting that even though those are small, they still have an impact.
0: Yeah. What are, what are, I think this might be worthy of just digging into just a little bit, like, cause when we're driving our vehicles, we have the fuel gauge mm-hmm. and we, we know when that gauge, assuming our car is working right. When it's kind of getting into the red zone, like, Oh wow, it's going to be empty soon. Um, but you can see that happening. And so I think, you know, just as if your car ran out before mm-hmm. you got to the fueling station, that's a whole lot of like getting tank gas back into the tank. Mm -hmm. And so knowing what your early warning signs are of the burnout and the fatigue showing up can allow you to get on the front end of -hmm. your own refueling. Mm -hmm. And so what, when you talk to people about burnout, how do you talk to them about like developing that awareness or what do you experience yourself
1: yeah. You know, it's interesting to think about what are those indicators and what are those indicators that can let us know we're moving in a direction, even though we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Are really important to pay attention to. I've been really thinking a lot about not just how do I recognize that individually for myself, but if I'm a leader of a team or an organization, how do I recognize that in the group that I'm responsible oh, for? Oh, yes. At the systemic Mm -hmm. burnout sort
0: of level and those
1: indicators. What are the indicators that my ecosystem's change capacity is almost maxed or inversely going on empty, right? If if people
0: could see me right now, I feel like I would look like the little emoji with mind blown, like, duh, this is not just about self. We can have this absolutely as a systemic conversation Mm -hmm. as well in our retrospectives, be talking about Mm -hmm. this for our teams and how do we pay attention and what what's our fuel gauge look like
1: and all of that because we're because we are connected because we're interconnected in the work that we're doing and so we each are you know bringing our part into the system but i think that's where if we're only looking at ourselves individually um, or we're only looking at it from kind of one perspective we're missing out right and one of the realities of being part of an ecosystem is that we have our parts or each individuals, Mm -hmm. we have the whole, but there's this other element that happens when we're part of an ecosystem that we're greater than the sum of our parts. Yes. And so we have to be able to see that greater whole and how we're all collectively responding right now. Mm -hmm. And we can look, at we can think about that fuel gauge or that um, capacity for change or energy. One of the things that I think is a really helpful indicator for teams or teams of teams is how easy it is to get the right people into the same conversation at the same time. When that's challenging, that's usually an indication that it's an indication of a lot of things. And you don't know It's like a vital sign, you know, vital sign, you go to the doctor and they take your temperature. And if it's high, it means something's amiss, but you have to dig deeper to figure out what it is. So I think this is a vital sign. It can mean that we have too many competing priorities Mm -hmm. if it's hard to get everybody into the same conversation at the same time. But I think right now what that can often mean is that those competing priorities maybe aren't just at work, right, because the boundaries between work and that work have disappeared from many of us. Yeah.
0: I think that we're called on to think about the values around transparency when we think mm-hmm. about agility mm-hmm. in new and different ways. Because um, this is also about, you know, know thy neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. Know that coworker in a different mm-hmm. way. And what are, because sometimes you can see those signs of burnout in another person, mm-hmm. just in the subtleties of how they interact with you mm-hmm. and that permission to be a mirror
1: Mm-hmm. Or
0: having had the conversation like, oh, Brandy, you know, we've talked about burnout with each other before. I'm mm-hmm. seeing this in you. And through our conversations, I know almost what um, that idea of how you apply the love languages, but within the context of sure. work, like mm-hmm. what your love language is at work. So I can provide resources in the like form of fuel that might mm-hmm. b- help reinforce your resiliency. But being yes. that mirror for each other in this
1: time um and that gives us the freedom to just embrace reality yes because there's this feeling i think in need to say oh it's not i'm okay you know this is all okay it's all you know we're figuring it out and you kind of show up and want to put forward your feeling of being okay um but that's not often reality. I mean, this is a week um, and a couple of weeks where many of us are starting school and going back to a school year. And so if you have kids at home or people in your life were tied to a school year calendar, um, it's a really hard couple of weeks right now. And that's just reality. So finding the freedom for each other to make reality more visible and give it space to say, it is what it is. That's okay. It's going to change um, our, you know, perhaps it's going to change the way that we interact with our team or what our availability is. And we can accept that reality and then do the hard work of prioritizing to say, okay, given that, you know, what are the most important things that we need to be showing up for or participating in and where can we, you know, shift priorities? It's just freeing. It's not easy, but I think it's much easier to embrace reality and to um, mirror that for each other, like Mm -hmm. you said, than it is to kind of hold up some facade that is not lining up with reality.
0: Yeah, and you use that word facade and listening to all this, I almost think of how we, um, a lot of times when you're designing a working agreement or maybe designing a team alliance, things like um, assume good intent comes up. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually just even thinking more about that phrase, assume good intent, where we all know what we say about assumptions, how they make an ass out of you and me. And so how awful is it? And how almost inauthentic is it just to, well, assume good intent? Mm -hmm. Because how far does that really get you? I think there's something deeper and more rich behind that concept that could really serve us now.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, I often say that respect is... Trusting that everybody is doing the best that they can, given the um, experience and expertise and limitations that they're dealing with, and that trusting and and I think there's a difference between like assumption and trust. Yeah, that I maybe haven't thought about a whole lot until this conversation, but trusting you if you're on my team that you are doing the best that you can, and if it's not working for me, like it doesn't mean that. It doesn't matter how you're showing up, but it doesn't mean I have to lower my expectations, but it is trusting that you are doing what you can. And if it's not meeting the expectation, then there's a need to get curious about why and understanding why. And then just, again, going back to embracing the reality and understanding maybe what else is in the mix for each of us um, as we navigate these really hard times.
0: Yeah. I also think about the word that you used um, when we were chatting before the episode today, grace. Mm -hmm. Like that is a whole different reframing of both of those. Mm -hmm. Assume good intent, trust that others are doing their best. Like just lead with grace Mm -hmm. and not just like the inauthentic version of that.
1: Yeah. The uh, grace and graciousness existing with graciousness and offering that to one another and to ourselves, I think is something we need deeply right now. I've been also really reflecting on how we need that graciousness in our organizations, um, with our customers, with our business partners, with embodied as an ecosystem. What does it mean to bring grace into the ecosystem of an organization? And I think a lot of what that means is to embrace reality, but then also accept that uh, doing small things that are good still count as doing good things, that delivering slices of value are still valuable, uh, that uh, identifying what your priorities are and showing up for the top priorities matters, even if you can't manage quite as many priorities as you used to. And that grace is about accepting reality and finding ways to move forward together within that and embodying graciousness is something that we all need. And those aren't words that we typically tend to think about in our corporate environments. No. um, I'm reminded
0: of the relatively new Steve Barber book. Love is just damn good business.
1: Mm. Um,
0: Grace is just damn good business Mm -hmm. as well. And I almost wonder in an organization or in a team that has grace as its predominant core value, mm-hmm. is burnout even possible to show up?
1: Ooh.
0: Oh, that's like, that would an interesting be an answer. interesting hypothesis to figure out how to test.
1: Well, and what that makes me think of is if you truly are existing as a team and see yourselves as a connected ecosystem, right? And apply that systems thinking, then collectively what you're capable of is greater than the sum of your parts. Mm -hmm. And so if you really embrace that truth, um, then if I am a little less capable because I've got other competing priorities, perhaps outside of the work that we're doing, we're all connected and there is trust and there is graciousness. um, Is it possible to burn out in an environment in which everybody sees that like there is that connectedness and we kind of, we mirror for each other. We hold for each other um, the grace to do what we need to do in a given day and the trust that we'll be back or that we will be showing up um, and how freeing that would be. Yeah.
0: And, and it's important to say the kind of grace we're speaking of here is not just like, oh, be patient with me. Mm-hmm. This is a, a whole body Sort of grace. Like I, I somatically feel this everywhere when we talk about this topic. Yeah, grace. it's
1: not just cut me some slack, have some yeah. grace for me because I can't handle it today. That's a little
0: like bless your heart.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's the Minnesota night we were yeah. talk about in Minnesota. It's the, um, we all have something to give and we all have something to receive mm-hmm. at any given time. And that might mean that some days or weeks I have a little more to give than I do at other times. And so when I can, I do. Um, and I might um, not pick up the slack, but help fill that team's capacity to respond to what's happening around us. And again, that trust that it, we're not assuming good intent, but we trust that we're all doing the best that we can. Yeah. And And then I think the other layer of that is to say, That may all be true. And we still may not be able to accomplish the laundry list of things that we thought we were going to do. And I think that's where a leader's role comes back in to kind of create that safety net that says, then let's talk about reality. Because reality is we are all expending a lot more energy taking care of our basic needs. We all know people who are being impacted by COVID. We all know people who have... um, kids back in school or dealing with wildfires or social uprisings, like that is the context and the reality of our collective experience in 2020. And so we may need to put more attention to those things and that may be legitimately our highest priority. So let's have a real conversation about what we need to accomplish for our customers, for each other, for our businesses and get really laser focused on what matters most. Um, You know, I think about the principles of simplicity and delivering early and often that those agile principles help us to embody what it means to have graciousness and um, what it means to respond to change without burning out. I, um, if anyone has
0: listened to many episodes of this podcast, I often find opportunities to bring in the very first agile principle, which is our highest priority is to satisfy the customer. Mm -hmm. And I'm suddenly overwhelmed with the sense of the highest priority is to care for each other. Mm -hmm. And when that happens and these things that we're discussing here become reality, Mm -hmm. caring for the customer comes differently.
1: And it flows out of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It just, Mm -hmm. yeah, that it just feels very, salient for me sort of at the moment and something I want to go kind of get curious on and unpack.
1: Well, I think that's so true because it makes me want to ask the question, can you really care for your customer, deliver value for your customer in all of the like hard business sense of that word? Can you really do that if you're not caring for each other? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Portia Tong was one of the very first guests on the Women in Agile Mm. podcast series um, when we launched it. She was a, a keynote speaker at Agile 2019. And she offered me the quote, and I can't think of who said it now, but it's, you cannot give what it is you don't have. Mm -hmm. And that, right, if our highest priority is to satisfy the customer, we must first. If we don't have satisfaction within ourselves, Mm -hmm. we can't give it to another. So Mm -hmm. that idea of caring for each other first.
1: Well, because think about the the connected parts of that cycle, right? If we are in a culture and an environment in which we can't respond to what's happening around us, we are burning out, we're not going to stick around. Uh -uh. Or if we do stick around, we're going to phone it in. And there's a difference between phoning it in and just good enough. Like sometimes you just show up and you do what you can and it's good enough for a Time because that is what it is. But that's different than just phoning it in and being disengaged. But if you're burning out, you're going to be less engaged and you probably won't be able to stick around very long. And then collectively as an organization, you lose that capacity and that knowledge. If that happens enough in an organization, it's going to have a direct impact on customers. And I think we could probably all, if you're sitting here listening to this, we can probably all think of. Situations that we've been part of, or organizations that we've been part of, where you see that play out, where the customer yes. is harmed because of the workplace culture yeah. or the team culture. Um, but those lines of connection aren't always linear. They don't always show up on um, balance sheets. Yes. And so we don't often talk about them in a way that is serious and rigorous. Yeah. Um, before we wrap, Brandy, any kind of practical strategies,
0: tips, tips? for navigating burnout and creating kind of this more collective resiliency that we've been talking about?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but the refrain that keeps coming up and back for me right now is that a little bit of a good thing is still a good thing. And that just because we can't get the big bang thing done immediately uh, doesn't mean that taking steps towards that don't count we tend to have this binary of well, if i can't launch that whole new product line then you know what does it matter or if you know we can't do this other big thing then we're either doing it or we're not doing it like it's binary and i think that in this season those steps in the right direction those next better actions move us forward And are really much more powerful than we, I think, often give them credit for. So I think in a realm where perhaps all of us are just kind of teetering on the edge of burnout any given day, um, little good actions, tiny good actions absolutely count and they're necessary. And collectively, as teams and organizations, if we're all doing that, those little good things that we can do, it does add up and it does make a really big difference. It
0: does. And celebrate those. Right. I'm reminded of the psychology and the science behind the positivity ratio Mm -hmm. from Gottman's work, like for every one positive interaction, like contributing to something when there's negative interactions, it takes out five. And Mm -hmm. so if we can get really disciplined about, you know, a little bit of a good thing is still a good thing and celebrating those moments when the Mm -hmm. little good things happen, we're going to have more frequent positive deposits into and our resiliency container. Momentum,
1: Yes. Absolutely. I really love the work of Adrienne Marie Brown and she has this phenomenal book on emergent strategy, but she talks about how change happens in ecosystems and she talks about social change and culture change in companies. And she emphasizes over and over again, the impact of collective tiny actions and that truly that is how change happens. It's not these... Yeah big top-down things that we look for. Um, It is change that happens in the collection of the small things that happen every single day. And she gives the example of like an evolution, you know, big predators, lions and tigers, we tend to think of them as the most powerful, but like they're not doing so well. They're endangered or on the verge of extinction, but dung beetles, ants, geese, you know, they're doing great. And they're doing great in part because they all have these, Small collective actions that they take, and that that really does matter, and it really does count. Yes, I totally agree. Final thoughts you want to share,
0: Brandy? Today,
1: there's been so many. I thought thought my little good thing was my final thought.
0: Yes, (laughs) I want to make sure there's space. Anything else? Um, I don't think I have anything else. Okay. What are you What are you feeling grateful for Mm. in our discussion? What are you taking away from today?
1: From this session today, I am really I'm taking away this question of if you're part of a team that's really caring for one another that's showing up with graciousness, can you burn out yeah I mean I think of course sure you can there are other things that impact that but how does that shift the likelihood that yeah. you burn out so that that's a sticky question that i'm going to keep um, percolating on yeah I um and i'm I'm taking
0: the uh, this idea of the celebrating the small moments, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, every, a little bit of a good thing is still a good thing. Mm-hmm. And really um, working to permeate that through the group mm-hmm. that I'm supporting and working with right now. I feel like that is super, super important for us.
1: Mm-hmm. We need it because there's a lot of things that aren't so good right now. Yeah. That just yeah. aren't, they're hard. Yeah. And we don't need to whitewash those and say, oh, it's all going to be okay. We need to look deeper And with a more careful eye to find the little good things that are happening and celebrate those and hold the tension that they exist in the midst of a lot of challenge.
0: So we'll leave you listeners with that inquiry. What are those good things that you can celebrate today and focus on? And go share that story with someone else and give a little richness in their life, too.
1: Yes, I love that. And let us know. Yeah. Love to hear what some of the small good things are that people are finding that are making a difference uh, because we need that.
0: I'm I'm feeling there's like a, du- a dual hashtag thing coming. Hashtag small good things. Hashtag women in agile. Yes. Do that. Let's do it. Yes. Tell us
1: what they are. Let's make them visible. Create yes. some transparency and shine a light on them. Excellent. Brandy, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Leslie. This has been wonderful to be a conversation partner.